Hello and welcome to the SportsGrade Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. And joining me, as always, in the studio, the marking and goal-scoring machine, <laughs> Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, I, I do usually, like, I'm, I, I tell people when they ask me, oh, how's football going? Do you, do you play football? I say, mm. yes, but I'm, I'm not, a, not a good footballer. <laughs> yeah. I grew up playing soccer. But I had the uh, I had the pinnacle of my footballing career over the weekend, so I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> Don't we know it? Don't we know it? Uh, and Man, this is where parading the, around about this. Well, this is where the lines of LinkedIn content become very blurred because <laughs> <laughs> I've had a highlight. I've had a milestone achievement. Yeah, <laughs> I took a specky. I took my first yeah. ever specky on the weekend and finished it with a goal afterwards. I was very proud. I was very happy with myself, and. Um, I don't know whether to put it on LinkedIn or not. I don't know if this is like, you know, letting people in on who I am and what I've been up to or if I should just save it for Snapchat or something completely separate. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've generally not heard anything more about... Sorry, I put that wrong. We've heard nothing but (laughs) chat about this goal and Mark. The Mark is... Ruben's actually got photos of it on his phone. <laughs> I have it on good authority. He's been walking around the office actually showing people the photo. <laughs> Anybody who asks anything about football, he'd sort of respond with, oh, hey, by the way, have you heard about this market of football again? But no, well done, mate. Well done. The lawn dolphins are flying we are. down on the surf coast. So well done to you. But um, I'm looking for some vision before I fully heard <laughs> this mark. Yeah, I'm not too sure if uh, Birigara had a had a video camera out there that day. <laughs> well, they need one if they haven't got it already. Uh, let's crack in because this episode is uh, is huge. Mm. Uh, it's not often you get to uh, speak to an Olympian, uh, let alone someone who's won a gold medal and a bronze medal before. So mm. I think let's get crack. Let's get cracking. Uh, it's going to be an absolute ripper. Uh, if you want to learn more about who we are, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Or if you want to ask us any questions, jump into the SportsGrade community. Absolutely. And a shout out to, f- to a few of the new organizations who have just joined us inside the SportsGrade community. There's been a bit of an, an Olympic wave that's entered mm. the SportsGrade community because last week we had Athletics Australia join up to recruit people from our community. Yep. Uh, we've also had Gymnastics Queensland and Netball Queensland join as well. So they're mm. no doubt starting to build their teams towards... <laughs> Brisbane 2032. So welcome to those guys. Uh, but if you are looking to get your foot in the door of the sports industry, come along, join the, join the sports grad community. These people are hiring at the moment. Or if you're looking to join the likes of Athletics Australia, Gymnastics and Netball and want to hire people quickly and easily, then jump into the sports grad community because there really is something for everyone inside. So get involved with that. Absolutely, Rubes. Uh, quick question for you. What are you doing on June 5? June 5? June f- I'm not sure. I have to check my calendar. You've got no plans. Well, I have uh, an idea for you, and it's Deacon's Virtual Open Day. Oh, yes. Which is on Sunday, June 5, uh, where you can join thousands of students in coming in to see what Deacon has to offer. You can get all the information you need from one epic interactive digital event where you can explore courses, check out campuses, and have all your study questions answered, all from the uh, comfort of your own home, which is pretty epic, mm. if you ask me. I, uh, I believe I'm actually speaking of that. I probably should have known better. <laughs> well, you've got a packed calendar, so <laughs> that's understandable. Well, there, there's a cell right there, you know, come in and listen to Ruben. Mm. Um, but over the past two years, over 100,000 people have joined on the day, mm. uh, which is absolutely epic. So get involved. Don't miss out. So search Deacon Open Day and reserve your spot today. Mm. I might come along to that to watch you speak. Yeah, they're good fun. They're good fun. Yeah. Okay. Uh, awesome episode, Rubes. Who have we got today? Ryan, today we are chatting with none other than Natalie Cook OAM. Nat is a five-time Olympian. She uh, featured in the beach volleyball. She was a gold medalist in Sydney 2000, a bronze medalist in 1996. She's now an Australian Sporting Hall of Fame member. She's been the executive director at the Queensland Academy of Sport. She was the president of the Queensland Olympic Committee. She's even been a mentor for Startup Boot Camp and an interest in the, in the tech world as well. But my favourite part of her LinkedIn bio, Ryan, is when you scroll all the way down to the education section... <laughs> And it says, University of Queensland, physiotherapy, only got halfway before volleyball took over. 
That's so, totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> for those out there who've got halfway through a degree, hey, some things just take over. And for Nat, it was volleyball. Exactly. Focus, on your, focus on your strengths. Anyway, yeah. Brisbane has been selected the host city for the uh, Summer Olympic Games and Summer Paralympic Games coming up in 2032. So there's no, no one better mm. to fly the Olympic flag, flag for Queensland than Nat Cook. So... We had an incredible chat with her and some of the things that are worth looking out for, just a bit of the backstory behind the Brisbane 32 bid and why it's going to be so epic. You know, Nat had to sell the vision on to the International Olympic Committee on why Brisbane was going to be incredible and we get to hear it straight from her mouth. She absolutely loves Queensland, loves the Olympics and I think everyone's going to be, you know, lining up to get a job at the Olympics after you listen to Nat. Absolutely. She is a big Queensland fan, so awesome to hear her chat and the passion she had for the Olympic Games coming up there. Uh, I loved her keys to success, and the main one she spoke about was the networking part of that. So tune in to hear that, and also a bit of a tip for people who, when you're at a networking event or you meet someone for the first time, how do you remember their name? Because if you're mm. like me, it goes in one ear and out the next. <laughs> and I need to get better at that. But Nat has a bit of a trick. So for those out there, tune in for that one. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and then finally, for those who have been getting knocked back from interviews or not having a lot of success with your jobs or might be something else that's requiring a bit of resilience, Nat has this incredible inner belief that she's carried with her for 40 years uh, that has allowed to have build this um, incredible bank of resilience. And mm. so if you're needing that at, at the moment, Nat teaches you a few ways to uh, get on the right track. Awesome. Well, let's get cracking. Great episode. So we hope you enjoy this. Grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Natalie Cook. Nat, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite and nothing like Ruben reaching out on LinkedIn and um, <laughs> when someone's that brave and bold uh, to ask for me to show up on a podcast, you just have to say yes. Well, Nat, your, your profile was incredibly inviting. I was, I was looking at it, it was very detailed and you're putting a lot of great content out there, smiling in front of the, uh, the Sydney Opera House, so I thought well, we have to get her on. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was there for Taronga Zoo, actually. It's amazing the things when you have children and you come out of your my athletic career and, and I want to take her to see all the best things. And so you've got to go to the bridge, you've got to go to the Sydney Opera House, you've got to then go to the zoo. And, um, yeah, it was pretty exciting to live through the eyes of a young six-year-old. So thanks for reaching out, Ruben, and I um, had a read of what you guys do and thought this was a great opportunity to engage the next generation of sports administrators and sports supporters uh, to make sure we're ready for this amazing 10 years we have ahead of us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about that because when you think of the Olympics, you know, the, the cities of London, Paris, Tokyo, Los Angeles come to mind and now Brisbane, which is incredible. But I'd love to learn where were you and how did you react when Brisbane got announced as the host city for the 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games? Well, I was super lucky. Um, I was a part of the bidding team with the Premier, the Lord Mayor and the Prime Minister and John Coates uh, and the Paralympic Australia President as well, Jock O'Callaghan. So we got to present to the IOC via Zoom to convince them that Brisbane, like it's really hard to roll it off your tongue as an Olympic Paralympic <laughs> city, that Brisbane could be... Um, the host of the biggest and best sporting event in the world. And so I saw it unfold for probably, uh, I mean, seven years ago, Graham Quirk, the then Lord Mayor um, of Brisbane, sort of floated the idea. And, and that's what dreams are made of. He actually just put it out there to see if it would stick. And it did. And, and so it actually took seven years from that, um, the birthing of the idea that Brisbane could host and to be part of the last 12 months in the lead-in and present to the IOC president and his committee members, so to see what Brisbane had on offer. Um, so here's the answer to your question. I was right in the heart of South Bank in Brisbane on the stage hosting no. thousands of people sitting there waiting in a COVID time, in a pandemic, where the rest of Australia was shut down and Brisbane was still able to do this, um, waiting for the live cross back when uh, Thomas Bach 
opened the envelope and said, can't really say the winner is Brisbane. So he had to say the um, the games have been awarded to Brisbane. So I was right in the heart of it. I felt every single emotion, the young kids screaming and cheering, not knowing what it was going to be about for them, to the older generation of Dawn Fraser sitting there understanding three Olympic games in, the, in Australia for her, 56, mm. 2032. We just got to hope Dawny gets all the way to the end of thirty-two. <laughs> that is awesome. that is incredible. And how did, how did they? Uh, what, what was some of the the key components to that pitch when you said, "Let's bring the the biggest show on earth to the brown snake"? Well, yeah, the brown snake. <laughs> well, let me tell you, in some of the documents, it turned crisp, uh, crystal sparkling blue too. The good old yeah. brown snake. Uh, <laughs> the, the lovely waters of the of the big brown snake. <laughs> it's all about Photoshop, right? So, um, yeah. we didn't have to Photoshop much for Brisbane, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Townsville, of course, um, hosting some football preliminaries. But to showcase under the new norms of the IOC. Um, which is about a region hosting and how do we um, make sure that the Olympics fits into our city and our region and not our city and region having to fit into the Olympics. So some of these fundamental changes have enabled Brisbane to be a perfect candidate for the Olympics. So we promised five core commitments um, and let me see if I remember them all. I'm very clear on the first four, but we might uh, ad lib on the fifth one. Um, athletes at the centre and heart of everything we do and how do we um, make the athlete pathway more robust from the sparkle in the eight-year-old. However, it could be the sparkle in the two-year-old skateboarder, right, Um, with 10 years to go because the Tokyo gold medalist was 11 for skateboarding. Crazy. So Mm. we could be looking at a one-year-old. So you don't even know when your Olympic dream could come true. But um, the athlete pathway and uh, club sports systems and community sport and infrastructure all the way through to the top of the podium. Uh, number two, climate positive. How do we become the first climate positive games? And even by announcing that, and we don't have the how yet. The, again, it's about the dream um, and the intent to make sure that by then we are climate positive. Even that has helped Paris get more excited about trying to make their games as climate positive as they can with only two years to go. So that's pretty exciting. I think our bold declaration will help accelerate LA and then by the time we get to 2032, um, let's hope that we can deliver on that promise. The third one is, of course, mobility, accessibility, um, inclusion, uh, diversity, which is probably three and four. How do we make the city accessible um, for people with a disability? And, and everybody that wants to come into Brisbane and southeast Queensland. Uh, and then number five, yeah, by the time I get down there, I, I don't know. I, We're I, testing I, you there. Yeah, you're testing me on number five. So, <laughs> come on, now, you've had seven years. Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, uh, just the, the last pitches, you know, everyone had their place, but we'll have to circle back and find out what number five is. I just know there were five rings, five fingers on the hand, five promises. Um, maybe it's an infrastructure uh, piece that, Yes, probably yeah. the least of my worries. Maybe it was the promise of the, the Gabba being redone. That might have been <laughs> number five. Yes. Not, hey, um, not that you Victorians will like it when it's going to be the new G. <laughs> it's going to be that epic yeah. thing, uh, the G. Oh, no. Well, I saw some new plans floated for the MCG the other day, so they, they might have heard that this yep. is in the works and we've got to counter with something else. Well, and that helps too, right? That's what it's all about. It enables people to think bigger in all areas. And it's not just, it's like if I can do that in sport and the Olympics, even in business, even in sports grad, even when you are graduating from um, university, what is it that you can say you've done in 2032 when you look back for 10 years Mm -hmm. and set those bold, uh, courageous, dangerous, ambitious goals? And that's the power of um, what I think an Olympics and Paralympics does. Yeah. Um, during our extensive research of you and, and the Brisbane Olympics coming up, we came across a, a fact that was that Brisbane is the four, is the smallest Olympic host city since Montreal in 1976. And with that in mind, I'm wondering what is special about Brisbane that is going to make this Olympics awesome? Well, I've lived here 33 years and the other 15 of my life were in Townsville. So I'm absolutely, I bleed maroon. 
I'm a Queenslander through and through. And and like like we said at the beginning, what makes it special is it's going to be intimate. The the new G at the Gabba is going to be only fifty three thousand seats. It's not about making it bigger and bolder. It might be mm. sixty thousand. Might be we're upgrading seven to sixty. So it's about being um, a fan, uh, the best friendly fan experience. It's about wayfinding. It's about technology. It's about broadcasting to the world and how we can enable a stadium um, that's going to be the best in 10 years' time. So we don't want to get ahead of ourselves now, um, although we are planning to have a pre-legacy for the Gabba so that football uh, and cricket can also start early and we can have um, our mighty Lions and and our cricketers play there as well. So it's all about um, engaging, I think, and you will know about the tech side moving so quickly how can we have the stadium of LA's opening ceremony? How do we feel that for Brisbane? And they watch it from mm-hmm. LA feeling like they're in Brisbane, right? That would be cool. What Paris yeah. are doing, I don't know if your research has taken you to Paris, is they're doing a six-kilometre long opening ceremony. So the yeah, opening wow. ceremony is actually on the river. Um, yeah, that's cool. And the athlete, it's a non-stadium yeah. opening ceremony. So, I think the first ever. So everyone can be a part of it. Everyone can be a part of it. The athletes will be on like barges and float, like floating down the opening ceremony. It's going to be past the um, Champs-Élysées, the Eiffel Tower, all of those famous monuments that we know what Paris is about. Uh, mm. And, you know, it's got a long history for Europe and Paris. We have to create that for Brisbane. We are such a new city but it's all about our friendly hospitality, our casual, intimate, connected lifestyle, our, uh, and ultimately our lifestyle. Uh, the IOC and the International Olympic Committee could not believe how much greenery is around. And you can be 15 minutes out of the centre of Brisbane City and, and be in a leafy suburb um, mm. like Turak, Paran. <laughs> you, know, you know posh suburbs uh we've got we've got fig tree pocket and so the isc were just super impressed and also coming from the gold coast to the sunshine coast that three hours which we're hoping through faster trains can make it um, a lot quicker but that's the uh succumb- no diameter of paris as well so it really is yeah. going to open up our region and showcase brisbane to the world people the day after the announcement, people, the most thing that was Googled was, where is Brisbane? So <laughs> yeah. what we're going to see now is people Googling, how do I get to Brisbane? I want to go to Brisbane. Um, yeah. And and we're going to see more and more people want to come to Queensland and therefore Australia. Like everyone, it is an Australian Games. Uh, we do, mm. Sydney did so much for Australia, not just Sydney. Uh, and that's something that we want to do for Australia as well. And and you're a big part of that as well, might I mention. You, you talk about selling the dream of a Brisbane Olympics. You, there's no one better than you to kind of sell the dream of a Brisbane Olympics, being a passionate Queenslander and being, you know, you mentioned as well, doing things in fives. You're a five-time Olympian, gold medalist in 2000. Um, you're an integral part of this whole thing happening. Um, I want to talk about the organising committee for a second and start to understand how does that come to fruition you know how does the organizing committee even get selected and then um who are these people that are made up to make these big decisions for for brisbane yeah well i was lucky enough to be appointed one of the 22 members um and it's really hard uh to explain to people what it's like when you are an olympian it's one of those things you dream i was eight years old i dreamt to be an olympian i didn't know i would go five times and win medals but this is how it happened for me. I have a one-time focus, <laughs> I, I a single-minded focus, and then for those for those listening, Nat's just chucked on a very colourful pair of Olympic ring sunglasses, which look fantastic. Oh, yeah, I have to would, would encourage anybody listening to have find us on YouTube. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, see these sunnies. I have to remember that we are on a podcast visual, and I will show the bronze medal. I'm showing, oh, I'm showing the Olympic bronze medal from Atlanta in 1996. Now, many of you wouldn't have been born, um, but that's okay. And in the right oh, yeah. light, it looks gold. And then I was just about to say, sure, that's not your gold. No, because here it comes. Four years later, the dream continues. 
This is the real <laughs> oh deal. Um, and you have to wow. go on YouTube to have a look. The real Sydney 2000 Olympic gold medalist. So, oh, yeah. so therefore, I've just taken my glasses off. I've put my medals down. The 22 years, like one's 22 years old and one is 26 years old and the shine never wears off, let me tell you. It is a special wow. Wow. moment which I guess in answer to the question is why I was chosen. Um, it, the Olympics is in my blood and hopefully now after being retired for 10 years I can work on the other side of sport and have the best experience for our athletes and our visitors and our volunteers uh, coming to the Brisbane Olympics and Paralympics. So I was, not that I was the first one appointed, but my number one, I like number one, so I'll take number one seat. Um, You've done good at taking number one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we dream of, right? We dream of that's it. of being the best in the world. If you find me somebody that dreams of coming second in an AFL premiership or coming second at the Olympics, yeah. that of course we're all proud of that and you get to that and there's nothing wrong with my bronze medal or silver medals, but the dream, every kid's dream is to win Olympic gold medal. So the, the board is made up of a president who was independently found by a recruiting company. Uh, they he, The recruiting company found five members of the board. The chair, Andrew Liveris, who um, has had a lot of experience internationally and with the IOC and the sponsorship model. Part of what the board's job is, is to make the finances stack up so that the games actually cost Queensland nothing, right? You heard it here. John Coates who is the, uh, was until recently the Australian Olympic Committee president, which we say AOC, 32 years he sat in that seat. He still is the vice president of the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, and John has worked under the new norms at making the Games not only climate positive but cost neutral. So we as a board have to raise lots of money from corporate sector and philanthropic sector to make the balance sheet stack up. So um, our chair has a lot of experience in that. Then we've got four more independents uh, that were announced by the recruiting company. The Premier of Queensland, Anastasia Palaszczuk, she got to choose four people. So I'm one of her appointments. Um, her, herself, Stephen Miles, who is the Minister for infrastructure and uh, the deputy premier here in Queensland. Then she also chose Patrick Johnson, who is an Olympian uh, track runner. Um, and ironically, he's got a great story, Indigenous runner. Um, he was born on a speedboat on the way to Cairns uh, and and lived, wow. on, lived on a boat for seven, his first 17 years and then became the fastest runner we've ever seen in Australia. So that's pretty cool. So Four from the Premier, four from the Prime Minister um, and then the Lord Mayor. He got um, to choose one other mayor. Uh, I think. Uh, then I've got the Australian Olympic Committee CEO and the Paralympics Australia President. So there you go. It's a big board um, and there's a lot Amazing. of work to be done. So your your job really is is to sell the games. You're you're just selling it to people, selling the dream, selling you know. How, I mean, as you said, you've got to try and get this cash in in the door pretty much to pay for it. So is that how you spend most of your time selling the game to to big corporates, different people around Australia and the world? Yeah, that will. Um, we had our first board meeting a few weeks ago, so that that will be most of our job. So I've been yeah. selling the Olympic and Olympian sizzle for forty years. Um, yeah. since the day I had the dream, like as an eight year old, I would tell everyone, "I want to go to the Olympics. I want to go to the Olympics." I was selling my dream, um, which I got to live for a good 20, 20 years, and now I'm selling the dream for the next generation of athletes, the next generation of of administrators, the next generation of games, support teams, volunteers, selling Queensland to the world, um, selling mm. the Olympics and Paralympics to sponsors. So you're exactly right, Ryan. I am I am the around the office because I work for the Queensland government as well. I get called the Olympic Sparkle. They're like, here she comes. <laughs> I did a little bit of gold dust, a little bit of magic fairy dust, and uh, everyone walks <laughs> away seeing the Olympic rings as well. They just need a pair of glasses. They you wear them around the office then, surely. 
<laughs> they do. They all try and hunt sense. them down. They are hot property, but there's only one pair and they're mine. Mm. That is amazing. Brilliant. You, one thing you mentioned before is you've sold this incredible vision and you get to work out the how. Because one thing else that comes to mind for me is where, where do you start the planning? What, what do you do first when you're 10 years out from Olympic Games? And what does that plan look like? And how do you keep it on track over 10 years? Mm. Has that been created yet or is that coming up? No, that's all whip, work in progress. So you'll probably hear those <laughs> yeah. uh, um, letters too. But We use them too often. Yeah, and we have, you know, the when you come out of university and when you start new projects like this, um, the best thing to do is go and look to people who have done it before you at some level. Now, you know, unless you're inventing brand new stuff, which... I encourage that too. And then you, but you still, there's someone that's gone before you in the process. So we will, um, we're, we're talking to London about legacy and, and how they put the games on. We're also getting the best lessons from the 2018 Commonwealth Games at the Gold Coast. We're getting lessons from Sydney 2000, even though it was a long time ago. Um, and because things have changed so much by the time we get to 32. So we've got to be, uh, I say imitate and innovate. So we we do want to copy a little bit and then we've got to innovate mm-hmm. as we go. So we only have a handbook of T minus seven years. That's all it's ever been. We are the first Olympic Games to be granted with a 10-year runway. Now, Los Angeles had that too, but accidentally, not on purpose. So they were only ever bidding for a seven-year plan. So what they did is actually just put everything on hold not knowing that they could probably have started the 10-year handbook for us. Um, and so we talk a lot to the other organising committees. They're very uh, helpful in knowledge sharing. And like I said, some of our big, bold, dangerous goals are already working backwards to help them um, get ahead of the curve. So we, whilst we start with a blank sheet of paper, it's not really. We have a very good indication of what's been before us and the International Olympic Committee are very supportive in trying to make sure that we keep iterating the games and we make it the best, as you've seen with new sports, right? We've seen BMX, freestyle, we've seen um, skateboarding, rock climbing um, and surfing come in. And it, and it really will, we will have the opportunity for Brisbane to bring in a few new sports. I believe lacrosse is coming in. That's uh, a sport dear to my heart. Am <laughs> I right there? Well, look, everyone, like netball, cricket, lacrosse, they all are, they're all associate members. Now, I don't know if that's the actual right yeah. term of the International Olympic Committee. They're all in there trying to put their case forward. Um, there yeah. are a few, a few parameters that have to be met and looked at around gender equality. So netball have a problem. They are too female dominant. Yeah. Um, so they're mm. working on on male netball and mixed netball. Cricket's problem is it's a big team and we have a cap with the number of athletes that are allowed into a games. So if you if you did choose a cricket, then you may not have the opportunity for other sport. You get up to five, but that might mean you only get one cricket. So there are a few things to consider and that decision isn't made uh, till a lot longer along the journey. So there's a lot of, lot of things to, to, I'm sure our president of the chair of a chair of the organizing committee has a list and uh, we'll be working through that systematically. Was that, was beach volleyball new to the Olympic games in Sydney 2000? It was new in 96. It was his first um, go. It did have a what they called demonstration in Barcelona. It wasn't for a a full medal sport, so you won't see it on the the historical um, list. So the I was in the first five goes at beach volleyball being in the Olympics. It was pretty special. So you got the chance to put beach volleyball on the map, and now it's well and truly cemented there. Well, that we. You know, we knew that. We fought for a long time to get beach volleyball on. We knew how great it was. A lot of the people sitting in the positions that made the decision uh, weren't aware. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes to get people to even show up to have a look. And then now we've cemented ourselves in the schedule and it's one of the hottest tickets um, for any Olympic Games. It's pretty amazing. And the beach volleyball will be held uh, under the Eiffel Tower in Paris. So we can't have a better spot. Mm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Well, Nat, we've talked about the the games and why they're so special and meaningful to you, but I want to talk about yourself for, for a moment now because um, you're, you're doing a handful of different things. Can you tell us a bit about how you spend your time and, and why you're doing what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, I wear a few hats and, and after the um, organising committee nomination, I'm trying to simplify. So there are times in your, you know, your careers when you get out of the blocks real fast, you try and go to the top of the mountain and you get up there and you realise there's not much oxygen, you've got to come back down, right? So <laughs> you go up and you celebrate and then you come back down and reassess. And so I'm, I, I'm just about to hand over my role as the chair of the Queensland Olympic Council. So I have been for the last nine years working on um, the local environment for our Olympians, our fundraising, our team appeal. How do we get our team across to Rio and Tokyo? That was what I was tasked with. How do we raise money? Um, so I'm handing that over. I also sit on the World Olympians Association board, which is a big board, 19 from all over the world and our job is to look after the retired athletes, the 110,000 living Olympians. Um, who's, who's the most fun to hang out with on that board? Well, see, fun is these words now become different to everybody. <laughs> so uh, uh, probably the president, he is from France but lives in Monaco, so you want to be friends with him because, you know, the Monaco <laughs> Grand Prix, he's best mates with Prince Albert. He flies his own plane and he owns a, a cigar company. So he's the most interesting oh, uh, and and he was a pentathlete gold medalist. Um, so you don't wow. you don't ever want to mess with him too with his with his uh, saber sword. And yeah, they're and, good at everything. The pentathlete. That's right. And the president <laughs> of the International Olympic Committee was a fencer. So both of those two together are awesome. Um, James Tompkins, the awesome foursome rower who's been to six Olympic Games, is also on that committee with me. So we have a great time uh, when when we do stuff, making sure we take care of the Olympians. So those are two of my other board roles. And I also work, as I said earlier, for the Queensland Government in um, high-performance sport, grassroots sport, community sport, sport tech relationships, innovation, how do we get everybody working together collaboratively uh, because, you know, more more heads on the task will actually produce a better outcome. Tell, tell us a bit about the, the sports tech space because the, uh, the Pathways program that you're involved with and getting people to the elite level seems quite obvious given your background, but the tech side Probably less obvious. Tell us about how you got involved in that. Yeah, I went to Switzerland where the International Olympic Committee lives and they also have an Olympic museum. Um, and I was there for a year, kind of a year sabbatical. Most people have a gap year or a, at, at the end of, uni- at the end of um, school before they go to university. Well, I had it at the end of the Olympic career before I went into um, sports admin. And so uh, in sitting by the lake, Lake Geneva in Switzerland, it just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> I, um, could be in worse places. Yeah, it could be worse. I'd seen what was happening in tech and I just, right at the heart of the International Olympic Committee, there's a lot of tech innovation going on and I was invited to be a judge at one of the um, conferences. And so seeing the pictures and seeing the presentations and seeing the scope of AI, blockchain, Web3, Metaverse, um, NFTs, all of that coming to fruition uh, a a few years ago and seeing it emerge just caught my attention and I knew that was the future. How do we create the best fan experience? Um, So I've started to uh, make sure I support and we're building some things here at the Queensland Government to make sure that that's uh, what we focus on moving forward. Any specific things you, you learned around NFTs that you could share with us? Um, well, it's like anything. If you find the good ones, uh, they're very val- the valuable, the rarity, the uniqueness. Um, but then when you see people throw them up there with nothing behind them and try and sell them at a high price, it, it that's like one one person does it wrong and then it tarnishes everyone. So... I do think it's the digitising of the experiences and the opportunities through the NFTs that are amazing 
And if you mm. find the right one and prepared to pay the price to get access, it really is access to, you know, you saw I saw Snoop Dogg's one from the Super Bowl, right? And and, and how they they play yeah. in the metaverse and the sandbox and, um, yeah, it it it's an interesting space and proceed with caution but with optimistic excitement. Mm. Maybe by Brisbane 32, there could be gold medal NFTs. Well, yeah. You never know. <laughs> I was about to say, imagine where we're going to be at in 10 years' time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, somebody okay. said, uh, somebody, one of our leading industry um, speakers from the Australian Sport Technology Network, John Persico, said that I could continue to play volleyball for the rest of my life in the metaverse. I thought, that's awesome. I can... <laughs> I can still wear a bikini. I can play every day in the metaverse, and uh, that'll be that's just something that we all aspire to, right? That's it. If you, if you can't, uh, you know, uh, pick a sport like a equestrian, where I forget his name, but there's a bloke Andrew who's still Hoyt. going around. Uh, Andrew Hoy, done eight, yeah. eight Olympics, which is incredible. Yeah. If you can't make eight Olympics, then the metaverse is a pretty good place yeah. to be as well. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, um, Nat. We hear from a lot of sources that you are an incredible motivational speaker. I know it's something that you love to do. Can you tell us a bit about what do you talk about? Because you've got you've done so much in your time. There's so many different things you could talk about. What what do you speak about when you go out to the masses? It's a great question, Ruben, because it is the toughest part. How do you simplify 20 years of a sporting career and an evolution mm-hmm. into business and networking? And um, it depends on the audience, but I really do talk about sustaining motivation and sustaining success for a long period of time. Now, that doesn't always mean you're going to win at everything you do. So building resilience and character through um, failing and and in the entrepreneur world, we call it failing forward, failing fast. You know, um, the secret is not actually in analysing the failure. It's in how do you know that you're destined for this this idea not to work and get out so you don't have a scar, right? That's really, um, (laughs) before you crash at the bottom, how do you get out early um, knowing? But it really is, uh, for me, about internal strategy, about your own inner weather, your own inner world, because we've seen the weather outside. We've seen storms and floods and fires and COVID and all of that can continue to keep happening. But how do you, as an individual, weather the storm and that was playing sport too there were times where um, we just got pummeled and we got picked on and we couldn't work out how to get out of it and and all of those strategies so I I talk to people about their own inner um, success strategies and over the time I've used superheroes and a thing called an easy button Um, and you'll have to come to hear me speak to understand what the easy button is (laughs) <laughs> and how do you foster courage to make that decision? And and even to the point of when you're driving in a car, and you boys can answer this, you're driving in a car, you see the yellow lights, do you press your foot on the accelerator or do you press the brake? Um, Ryan, you go first. I'm definitely on the accelerator. Uh, depends how long it's being orange for. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think I would bra- I'll brake. Yeah, and Ruben said accelerate. So Ryan, first of all, started to think about it and he's like, oh, he started to put parameters in place, right? And this is like when you play sport, you you put in these questions, they take too long. You've got one chance to, like Daniel Ricciardo, do you take the gap um, Mm. and blow the Red Bull car up on the side or do you hold back and miss the turn? And Ruben just said, I'm accelerating. And everyone's... um, and I'm not saying either is better than the other, but this is a part of trying to understand your own inner compass and, and what you would do and why. Um, so I talk a lot about that. I also speak about uh, the most important thing that you can do if you're going to do one thing is learn people's names. The skill that of the century is names and learning people's names and I was very fortunate to do a Dale Carnegie call. Now, for the young bucks out there and and ladies, go and Google Dale Carnegie. Um, He's no longer with us, but his work will stay forever. And fundamentally, it's the simplest principles in the How to Win Friends and Influence People book is is learning people's names. So I try and get everyone to 
to understand how that happens to network. Your biggest asset is your network. And if you're just coming out of uni, then go to as many events, go to as many lunches, breakfast, dinners, envelope openings as you can and uh, meet as many people as you can and learn their names. I might mention uh, another uh, former Olympian and silver medalist who's been on this, I, wouldn't, I was going to say podcast, but uh, she was on the YouTube series of sports grad whilst it was still a very amateur operation. Uh, you might know a Jennifer, Jenny Screen, uh, basketballer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I did an in, I did a strength and conditioning internship under Jenny uh, probably four or five years ago, and she said her method to learning people's names was through association with their shoes. And I don't know what sort of connection she'd make, but she would just take one look at someone's shoes and she would know their name immediately. So, what, what's your tactic to remembering names? Well, through Dale Carnegie, I learned that um, when you're introduced to someone. Your job is to repeat their name three times mm. in a short period of time in a sentence. So it's like, thanks for the introduction, Ruben. It was really great to meet you, Ruben. And I really liked when you talked about my shoes, Ruben. And so, <laughs> so when you're embedding that, it is almost like a mild hypnosis. You're embedding. So at the same time as I'm trying to do that in my 30 seconds to a minute with you, I am trying to know what association I can make to Reuben. Now, for me, I don't know what you're thinking, Ryan, but it's the Reuben sandwich in New York. <laughs> and, and it's a famous sandwich. And so now, you know, I put a sandwich on Reuben's head and now that has <laughs> made a photograph and now I should always remember Reuben. It's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to need that that tip because I, I'm awful at it mm. and I tell Ruben all the time I, I, I meet someone and their name will go in in one ear <laughs> out the next so use their name three times very quickly I think mm. maybe a little tick yeah for some young players out yeah. there someone to make a meme out of that photoshop a sandwich on my face <laughs> or something I'm sure but we'll see no. that's a that's a good one though yeah I'm, I'm next time I see Jenny I'll ask her about the shoes and what see for me as a beach volleyballer it's a thong Thongs. True. It's yeah. Not a thong. It's a pair of thongs. No, yeah. you don't want to mix those yeah. up either. No, no I love <laughs> it. Um, Nat. So, uh, when we speak to athletes, one thing that always comes to my mind of something to ask is around resilience, grit, and and failure, because it's something that's pretty much part of any athlete's career. You know, not many don't fail at all. Everyone has to deal with some level of failure on the way. So I'm, I'm asked, wondering with you, how did you deal with fa failure or rejection? Um, because I've got no doubt whilst you're a, one of the more elite athletes we've ever seen in the country, you would have had a failure along the way. Uh, absolutely, Ryan. See, so we're doing this. Uh... Well, you've got to say my name three times. I think you've said it a couple of times now, so you should remember it. Um, so... Uh, you know, if I look back in my career at big matches and international matches, I probably lost more than I won. And it's about um, periodizing, like with strength and conditioning, uh, your cycle and when you think you're going to be at your best. And swimmers, we hear about it a lot when they have to taper. Um, how do you go through a football season the whole time and be ready for the finals? You know, we used to play in beach volleyball Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And how do I make sure I'm at my best on Sunday afternoon and not just Thursday, right? So, um, and when I watch tennis, I really love seeing Rafa and Djokovic and Federer and now the new Spanish kid be able to serve with as much intensity at five hours as he did for the first serve. So when you build that level of resilience up, it it it, it comes from losing. It comes from crying. And I... Throughout my career, I cried a lot. I got angry a lot. The frustrations, the emotions, um, let them out, let them out in a safe space, let them out with the coach around, let them out with peers or friends. And especially if you are going for a job and you really want it and you don't get it, you know, talk about it, talk it out with someone, ask for feedback, never be afraid to ask for feedback, which is what we would always sit and watch video. The coach the coach would give us four hours, depending on whether we had to play again, 
four or five hours to stew on it, to go and get something to eat, to shower, and then he'd make us. I'm like, Coach, I don't want to watch. He's like, you've got to. You've got to see what's going on. So that's something in business we don't do enough. You know, we, we don't um, reflect on those key moments that haven't worked because ultimately it just there's no whistle or score sheet as much in business as you do when you put yourself out there for a high-performance event. So resilience too, you hear about resilience. It'd be nice if you could go to the supermarket and buy a packet, right, and just consume it. The only way to build resilience is to fail and lose because otherwise it's not needed. And and so that part of the journey is crap and hurts and like I said, you never dream of coming second. So you you start to drive that inner flame to burn brighter and to learn more and, Ryan, to be able to say, I didn't get that guy's name. I'm going to go back and ask him. I'm actually going to go back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't recall your name, but I really want to connect on LinkedIn. So get it on the spot and but most of us are too afraid to go back and say, I don't remember, sorry, I don't remember your name. So that's really key. Just for me, the dream was so big and so emotively connected to what I wanted to do to win the Olympic gold medal that I would do anything. I would lose and cry and, and go back to practice and like Jenny shoot hoops, shoot hoops, spike down the line, spike down the line. Uh, amateurs train until they get it right professionals train until they don't get it wrong and that's what we would do we would keep going the coach would make us like I said coach I got it he's like have you got it 10 times you've got to get it 10 times before you can leave practice and then the lights go on you're there forever um yeah so yeah it's it's a pretty big thing but the success is one in the failure and the character building when you don't when it doesn't go to plan which is a lot of the time. And and what would you say to someone who's too scared to even attempt failing? Uh, I've got a little trick where you just, most people are afraid to take that first step. So you just lean. And if you lean, and I'm leaning into the screen right now, but if you lean <laughs> in far enough, you have to step. So don't try and take big steps. Just have a little lean, have a bit of curious look. And uh, and then you'll you'll get close enough where you'll, through the lean, have to make a step and then have a go. And it's never as bad for those that have been parachuting. Like my first tandem parachute, I thought I was going to die. And the third or fourth time, you still think you're going to die, but at least you have a smile on your face. Um, So you get to watch those incremental changes through decisions you make, decisions you don't make actually can be as critical in the review um, why didn't I step up and ask for Ruben's LinkedIn profile or ask to be friends on LinkedIn or ask Ruben for a job or um, why didn't I do that and start to analyse that, the fear? Fear is it. Fear never goes away. Here's the tip. Never, ever goes away. I still get it. I just know what it looks like, what it smells like, what it tastes like, and I now know that I just got to lean in a little bit and have a go and uh, what's the worst that can happen? You get a no. Exactly right. In, in grad world, you get a no. All right. For me, that was like hunting sponsorship when I was 20 years old and 99 people would say no and I was just looking for one yes. But mm. you've got to get through the 99 no's before the yes is possible. And most kids these days give up after two or three no's. Well, I actually got a question the other day from a student and they said, Ruben, how do you deal with rejection when you do get that no what what do you do to pick yourself up from that and I might redirect that question to you if you what would you say to that grad well now you know that there's 99 so it's like run to the next one you've got to get you've got to pick them up like Pokemon Go you've got to collect all the no's you learn something every time and I would also depending on who gave you the no and at what I would go and ask hey just wondering what in my CV or what in my presentation or what in my interview didn't um, match up with what you're looking for? And, and if they give you a clear answer, then you say, where can I go and get that skill? Can you point me? It's about questions. Asking 
quality questions. So there's no such thing as a bad answer. There is such thing as a bad question and we're too afraid to ask questions. So just ask the question, find a way to learn the skill. Where can you go? Where can you volunteer? Where can you do it for free? Where can you connect with people that can upskill and up capacity build so that you're ready for the next time? I forget where I heard it from, but I recall a quote that came from somebody that said, the quality of your life can be determined by the quality of your questions, which leans to exactly what you said. And um, Nat, you mentioned at the start, you're more than happy to come in this podcast when someone was bold enough to reach out to you. Um, It wasn't always the case for me when I was a student. I remember trying to pick up the phone to call the first person who I wanted to have coffee with. And I was stuck holding my phone up with the guy's phone number in it, pacing around my backyard for 25 minutes, trying to bring myself to, to call it and, and couldn't do it. And eventually, as you say, just like leaned in, leaned in, and then eventually forced the phone into my finger and press call. And um, to my anxiety, he picked up and I had to talk to him. But um, <laughs> it got easier every single time. So when, when I saw your name pop up on LinkedIn, I, was, you know, I wasn't anxious. I was, I was excited. I was like, Fire out. This is this is Nat Cook. She's a gold medalist in Sydney 2000. I was six years old, living in Glebe, putting posters up on my bedroom window window at the time, celebrating the Olympics. Like, how lucky am I to get the chance to chat with Nat Cook? So, it does get easier for those people who are thinking about taking that first step. And what's the worst thing that could have happened? Right, I either didn't write back, or I said I don't have time, yeah. or and then you just follow up. The other thing there is, if I said no or I didn't have time, is you put in your diary for a month to watch LinkedIn and to go back in on another thing. Hey, I saw you You just quality people. I don't mean to um, talk about myself like that, but quality people (laughs) will, I just realized what I was about to say. Quality people will actually um, like to help and want to be part of um, other great things. So if you put yourself out there as being great yourself, you connect with other greatness so therefore, I've just called myself great and quality. So you've got to have a you've got to have a bit of self confidence, and you've got to be able to talk yourself up because until you can, no one else will. So I spent twenty years mm. telling people how great I was and uh, waiting for reality to catch up. It's this inner belief, um, and the inner belief comes when you've done the work, when you've practiced, when you've the dreams powerful, when you are a nice person and and you invite people into the dream and the journey. And so it was, I think I replied super fast, Ruben, after I've said no to many people. I have said no to many people because I don't have time, but I saw what you're doing and um, what you guys are about and building a community of collaboration and support for everyone in this. And that's what I feel a part of the Olympians like my job now is to help elevate all Olympians, not just me. I spent 20 years trying to do it for myself and now I want to give back and make sure that that the next generation, the eight-year-old kid that says, oh, I want to be a swimmer or a volleyballer or a golfer or a um, surfer has it a little bit easier than I did. Well, that, that is incredibly kind of you. Thank you, Nat. Mm. Um, we're very happy that you yeah. responded to, to us as well. Uh, and I was just going to say, I think that's probably the most remarkable thing about Olympians is how strong that inner belief is, like to, to carry yeah. that and persist for 20 years, as you say, until the rest of the world catches up with you and realizes, you know, this is what I've got to offer is an extremely hard thing to ask of somebody. So to have got through the other side of it uh, and to now you know, be relishing that success is um, is just amazing, I think. So, um, yeah, and, yeah. And the part of that, the other part that I haven't mentioned is it's, it's I don't do it alone. I've got my volleyball partner, Kerry, our, our coaches, our support team, our doctors, our sponsors, our family, our friends, you know, and they've all copped it at many times where, you know, I miss a birthday or I, I'm grumpy or hangry and I, you know, say something I shouldn't and, um the most powerful word other than someone's name is sorry, right? So when you do something wrong or it doesn't go to plan or you make a silly mistake is to be able to go sorry. So I have had massive amounts of support, um, but I've asked for it. You've got to be able to ask. You've got to be able to ask for help when it's going wrong Mm. and ask for help when it's going right. Like I needed 
copious amounts of money to send us all around the world to play beach volleyball and I didn't have it. So I wasn't going to earn it as a barista at Zarafis, right? I had to go and and sell the dream and sell it to sponsors and ask them to come on the journey in the one-day hope that I would stand on top of the world and they could relish in it as well. And um, you just keep going. If your dream's powerful enough, you keep going until you get it. Absolutely. Yeah. What a point to uh, to finish on. Um, Nat, it, it has been absolutely awesome chatting to you. And honestly, it is talking through what's to come in the next 10 years, but also everything you've achieved and, you know, some of the things at the end there around resilience and grit and how to push through to succeed in whatever you want to do is uh, – is seriously powerful stuff for for our listeners. So we really appreciate your time today, and thank you for applying to Ruben. When he said to me, "Oh, I'm just about to ring Nat Cook," I was just like, uh, "What? Uh, alrighty, I'll back you in, mate." Uh, so, yeah, yeah, thank you for applying on LinkedIn, and thank you for answering the phone. It has been an absolute pleasure to to chat today. Pleasure. And if there's one thing I can leave you all with, is it is the most exciting ten years we have ahead to be an Australian sport. Get excited, start dreaming about where you want to be in the ecosystem, start taking steps towards that. Uh, You've got FIFA Women's World Cup, you've got Basketball World Cups, you've got Cricket, you've got Rugby World Cup, we've got the Commonwealth Games in Victoria in 2026, we've got the Olympics. It is just like I've got goosebumps uh, for you and uh, do whatever it takes to get where you want to go because it is all worth it. All right, well, Rubes, I think that episode probably had some of the better advice we've ever had on this podcast. Absolutely. Uh, some of those little tricks that she was talking about in terms of like networking and just what she was saying at the end around resilience and things like that uh, genuinely couldn't get much better advice for, for people out there wanting to uh, work in sport. Honestly, when, when you're a five-time Olympian, she could have said anything and I, I would have followed it, to be honest. Yeah, yep, I totally agree with you. <laughs> How good were the props, by the way? Oh, that was amazing. That's like, that's a sports grad podcast first. That's the first gold medal we've had on the podcast. For those out there listening who think they might get a call up to the podcast one day as a guest, <laughs> you now know the gold standard. <laughs> this, this, is where, this is where we're at now. We yep. need sunnies and gold medals. So yeah. Get, get thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a high bar. Maybe we should uh, put the call out to those people going into Zoom interviews as well. Take some props with you. Prop. Prop up. Prop up. Makes uh, <laughs> total sense. I want a pair of those sunnies. They're pretty cool. Yeah. I just bought some sunnies and they don't match. But Not enough Olympic, Olympic rings on them. Yeah, they're a bit cooler. Um, what are some things you... You know, learnt from that episode. There's a lot to take away. Mm. Yeah, I think the number one thing that I took away from this is just ask for help. You can't do everything on your own. Even when you are as in, as incredible as Nat Cook is and when you've got this incredible inner belief in yourself, you still have to ask for help. And it doesn't take much. It's just a simple question. But when you start putting the branches out there, you start to get in a bit of a role. And yeah. to be honest, like we've we've been incredible benefactors of just asking for help. And yeah. there, there's been nothing more satisfying in our journey than when we were able to have that family and friends party a couple of months ago, just to say thank you to all those people who have given us help. And Nat mentioned as well that when she was able to achieve her uh, Olympic success and stand on the podium in Sydney with that gold medal, nothing made her more proud than to be able to share that with the people who had helped her along the way. So uh, first thing I'm taking away from that is just ask for help. Yeah. And the sports industry loves to help. Mm. We've said it a lot of times. People are always giving mm. in sport. People want to help people get to where they want to get to. So don't be uh, you know, fearful of asking for help. Speaking of fearful, um, I loved her point around, you know, if you if you do have fear about entering something or having a go at something, you know, rather than take a huge leap into it, just lean into it. I think it's a great analogy to use because yes, a big step into something new is is pretty pretty hard and can get quite fearful so if you just lean in and and just test the waters a bit before you sort of jump right in it can give you a bit of a bit of an insight yeah that was terrific advice and then finally you don't achieve the uh 
successes that Nat has without some big, hairy, ambitious goals and see through to follow them. I love everyone listening to this podcast to just, if you do have an ambition to work in sport, why not cast your mind 10 years down the track and have a think about what role could you be doing at Brisbane 2032 Olympics? So um, there's something to uh, to cast your mind forward to. Aim high, as Nat yeah. says, and just go your hardest. Believe in yourself because eventually the world will catch up and eventually see how good you really are. Yeah, love that. What an episode. Uh, one of the best. What a woman. Yeah. Incredible. Absolute legend. Alrighty. Well, find us on LinkedIn. Plus, be sure to jump into the SportsGrad community. We'd love to chat with you on there. Head to sportsgrad.com.au slash community to join or head to the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.